Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. Today's guest is Emily Scott, and we welcome her back, sort of. (laughs) I chopped this section out of the main interview. Emily did this incredible achievement where she climbed all 282 Munros, which are mountains over 3,000 feet in the Scottish Highlands, all in one go, continuous, self-powered journey. It's a really, really incredible thing that she did, and quite a large chunk of the adventure. And we spoke about it in such depth in the main interview, I thought, Let's take this out, let's put it into its own episode so it could be fully enjoyed. So that's what you're going to be hearing today, our chat about Project 282, questions about it. We're going to chat about just the culture shock from going from isolation right into the cities. We're going to talk about balancing friends and the outdoors and so much more behind her fantastic journey out in the highlands there. So really keen to hear what you guys think about it. I hope you enjoy it too. But with no further ado, let's get straight into the interview. I want to chat a bit about Project 282 as well, which is a massive way to be out in the mountains. (laughs) Um, I mean, so so for anyone uh, listening who may not be aware or is a non-UK listener, um, uh, uh, there are 282 mountains called Munros in Scotland, and they are all mountains that are 3,000 feet and above high. And, you know, one of the best things about Scotland is that all of these mountains, although they may be small comparatively, you basically start at sea level for each one and you go right up. So you did Project 282, which was all of the 282 Munros in four months. You did 2,200 kilometres on foot, 2,600 kilometres on bike and 150,000 metres of ascent over 120 days. It sounds like quite a lot when we say it out like that. It's pretty mega, yeah. uh, It's funny though, because it. What were your whys? Yeah. It is funny because, yeah, I think when you add it up, it does sound like a lot. But actually, when you break it down, like, you know, I was, and that's all I was doing. I was like full time, like, effectively, my job was being getting up and climbing hills um, and cycling in between them to climb up the next hill and stuff. Um, And I mean, it's funny because it's. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. Like um, coming back to this luck point, there was, I definitely did have luck at the start with the weather. Like, honestly, I had, um, I think actually I picked the best summer that Scotland had had for probably since records began in terms of warmth and dryness. Um, Like I had at the very beginning, it was three weeks of consistent high pressure. Um, And to be honest, when I was starting, that was so good because at least, I mean, I was totally didn't really know what I was letting myself in for and I'd kind of just like set off to do this thing that I didn't really know if I could do it or not let alone how long it would take like I basically had a hard deadline that I had one of my friend's weddings at the start of October that I was like I really want to get done so that I can get back in time for that um but apart from that it was kind of like right well let's just see how long this takes and 
and you know like people ask like how you train for it or whatever but it's like I couldn't train specifically for that like I just kind of was like well have a decent level of base fitness and then see where you go and like you know totally like body conditions into it and you know I think the first three weeks I found I was like starving all the time it's what it felt like all I could think about was food um but then after that kind of got into it a bit more and you know obviously my body kind of was like oh okay cool so she just wants me to go and hike up hills all day and you know just like okay cool like carry on um and you know like what I did was not impressive in terms of speed or anything like that it was just um you know I just would kind of but I was out pretty much all day every day like I had three three days in total over that 120 days that I didn't do anything Mm. um and I mean I probably had maybe like I don't know maybe about another six or seven days that were probably quite quite low on the you know I might have just cycled I don't know a a bit of distance or something or like but maybe didn't climb a Monroe or whatever um but yeah I mean it was I think at the start, it was just like, what am I doing? Um, but having nice weather just made such a difference because it's like, okay, cool. Well, I don't have to think too much about like how I'm going to dry my kit or, you know, it was kind of, I think the first time I, I think I did the first 10 nights in my tent and then I slept in a bed on the 11th night, I think it was. And that was kind of more also at the point that I was like, you know, I hadn't had a shower in 10 days. And it was like, yeah, I'd kind of, it was so warm that I was getting into streams and like kind of like having a bit of a like, you know like have a little wash in a river or whatever but like you know I was probably pretty stinky and needed a shower (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean aside from sticky toffee puddings when you sort of chuck your mind back to project 282 what are some of the things that come come out first What's I like that you mentioned memorable? sticky toffee puddings because yeah. actually all I really did was a sticky toffee pudding tour of Scotland. Like I just yeah. wanted to go and test as many as I could, just and then hills in the mix just well. climb some hills to kind of like <laughs> make up for the fact that I was just stuffing my face with sticky toffee pudding the whole time. Gotta work off. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like I love that. It's, it's so good after a hill. Like you can't really beat the uh, sticky toffee pudding. STP. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Project STP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, plus hills. Um, Sorry, I've now completely gone off on like... Oh, what, uh, what What comes to your mind first? Jeez. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, I think, to be honest, like, I, like the landscapes and just the hills and, you know, just the views and the amount of times that I did have that kind of, like, that wow moment. I've already kind of mentioned that, you know, you just... Um, you know like I before I did it I think I'd only been north of the Great Glen. So the Great Glen's the fault line that runs up from Fort William up to Inverness. Um so I think I'd only been north of the Great Glen like once or twice before. I'd certainly never been up to like the far north, up to like Ascent and stuff. And I mean, some of that part of Scotland is just incredible. Like it's so good. Like I honestly believe that when you get Scotland on like on good days, I think it's just so hard to get better anywhere else. Like, you know, I've I've been I've been to New Zealand which is obviously like you know renowned as one of the most beautiful places on the planet and New Zealand is stunning don't get me wrong but I think Scotland is comparable really like honestly like Scotland when you get it good like it's so good um and yeah as I, <laughs> you get a lot of bad with it as well like you know, it's, it's got especially that west coast the kind of wet wild Atlantic climate that you have but um but yeah, I mean, just some of the places where you are and you can kind of stand on this hill and you can see like for miles around and you can see out to the islands and you can see these locks below you and it's all kind of like the lockens are glittering and then you see like all these deer and like these animals. And I don't know, I mean, I had 
one particular encounter actually where I came like I saw like I saw a few golden eagles and stuff along over the trip and you know like seeing something like golden eagles like they are majestic like you know it's just phenomenal to be able to see that kind of wildlife and just kind of being in amongst it and just kind of yeah like you almost kind of I definitely had times I almost felt as though I was just kind of you know I'm just a very small figure just moving through these like big epic landscapes and it's just like yeah like you just feel totally insignificant but also just totally humbled to kind of be there and see those kind of views and stuff um so I think that's yeah just kind of exploring more of Scotland that was like a, a real highlight but then also you know like I it was largely like a solo expedition like I was on my own for 80 90 percent of the time um but like you know like the kind of the people that you meet out on the hills and stuff it really like I think you know you kind of every time you meet someone who's out for a hike like you always say hi and half the time you end up getting into a conversation and it's like oh like how's your hike going where what what are you doing where are you coming from like are you up for a while or like yeah and just like the kind of conversations that you have with people can be like really nice and like leave lasting impressions and I mean I met um I met these guys on a hill like right at the start like kind of in like probably about my 10th Munro or something that I met these guys who were doing the same route as me but in the reverse direction and we just kind of crossed over at one point and you know stopped and chatted for like 10 minutes and then there's only like one place to eat around there kind of thing so we were all like we were aiming for there for dinner and it was like I was like yeah cool well I'm like trying to get there as well and they're like cool well hopefully we'll see you later and we can like sit and like eat dinner together and you know that's just like a like really easy passing comment but yeah sure enough like we got to the hotel later and they were already there and a couple of beers in and I joined them and we had like a really nice evening and then turned out one of the guys um was staying up in the northwest highlands for a few more days after that and we met up a couple of days later and climbed another hill together and and actually we kind of like met up a few times along the way because he's you know climbing the Monroes in a kind of more standard way of just like whenever you can just going and ticking off a few here and there and like in between like real life and stuff um and it was just like one of those really nice just chance meetings that you know like I kind of feel like now like you know it's probably it's a friend that I hope will be a friend for life kind of thing that's just you know I've not seen him for a while but like we're still um yeah you know just kind of be like oh what are you up to like do you fancy going and climbing this hill or like you know him and his girlfriend or I should say his fiance now like they do quite a lot of, like sea kayaking and stuff and you know it's kind of just like I actually had another occasion much later on in the trip where I met these people who had been to a bothy and they were like oh yeah we had actually been told to look out for you and I was just like how on earth were you told to look out for me and I was like walking into this bothy and they're walking out and we're literally in the middle of in Noida which is like I think it's the kind of most remote part of the UK. It's like one of the wildest places in the UK. There's no roads that go into Noida. You either walk in or you get a boat in. And like, it's it's awesome, actually. Totally worth going to. But um, but yeah, I met this couple and they're walking out and they're like, yeah, we were told to look out for you. And I'm just like, what? And then they're like, oh yeah, there were these two... Um, these doctors who'd uh they paddled to this bothy and they they were there on their sea kayaks and I was just like doctors and then I was like oh it was Andrew and they're like yeah and it was just like you know it's kind of I don't know it's quite quite a funny one just kind of you know the people you meet along the way and then how you kind of interact with them and stuff as well it's just yeah, yeah. massively um, so um I was thinking as well it is 
you say you got really lucky with the weather, but and and that you you know you loved the good weather, but is there still a place for type two weather? Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> and actually, um, so yeah, as I said, like lucky with the weather to start with. Um, and yeah, like June and July were, I think I had three weeks of really good weather, then a week of bad weather. I think I had a name storm actually. Um, and that just meant like I had, so I would kind of do stints away from my bike that I might go away for like five days and do like a big loop and take in like 10 Monroe's or whatever and just kind of, but I basically always had to factor in getting back to my bike because I wasn't having, you know, I was unsupported. So I obviously had to get back to my bike if I wanted to cycle (laughs) on. Um, So I think I had one of these longer stints that I was, um, I was up in the Northwest and I was doing like a really big loop. I think it was like, you know, kind of like a 130k loop or something that was took in maybe 14 Munros um, up around, I think I started from Aknesheen, if anyone knows the area. Um, and then kind of, yeah, like um, taking in all these hills, but basically the weather turned pretty bad. And um, there was one day that I was meant to be doing four Munros and going on to this bothy, but then because I, because of a conversation I'd had with somebody that I met on a hill maybe a week before or something and I was talking to him about what I was doing and stuff and he was like oh just by the way there's a bothy there that might be useful that I didn't know about so I like remember I got my map out and I wrote on my map bothy and actually then that day I did the first two hills and then I was just like this is really tough like this weather is hard going I can barely stand up and I was like oh actually there's that bothy that that guy was telling me about and it's a bit of a detour but I'm gonna go off my route and go down to there and stay in that bothy and geez I was so glad I did because I got into the bothy and then you know like the rain was like hammering against the windows and like it was foul weather and it was only kind of once I got back to my bike and then kind of cycled on a bit further you know a few days later then I got back into signal and then I had like a message from like one of my friends being like uh so storm Hector how's he going for you and I was just like oh it was a named storm that explains it like you know it was um that was definitely a good learning curve that one because it was uh I also ran out of gas because I wasn't expecting to be away from my bike for quite so long so then I kind of ran out of food so then I was like really hungry and and then some people gave me it Twix thing ever (laughs) um but yeah I mean totally like you know bad weather also you know you kind of you learn probably learn more from it because I definitely you know I had days that the weather was lovely and it was just like great I'm basically on a I'm just having a really nice time and it's just I'm genuinely just enjoying it and like yeah like excellent like really nice but then in September I then had weather that was I think September was actually one of the one of the wetter Septembers on record um and yeah, it was really tough going. I think I had pretty much like the last three weeks that I had maybe one good day of weather, if that. And it was just like rain after rain after rain. And I ended up getting like a really gross infection on my finger that was, I think, basically just because I was so run down and trying. Like I was pushing myself really hard because I basically had set myself a deadline that I wanted to finish on. And then once I kind of set that, then I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm going to do that. And I kind of had you know because I wanted like some of my friends met me at the end and stuff and the last hill I did was Ben Lomond and I was coming at it from the other side of Lot Lomond so I wanted to go across Lot Lomond rather than mm. going around it um so I needed a bit of like logistical support there so I had some of my friends drove to the the Ben Lomond side of it and then came across the lock in a canoe and a couple of paddle boards and then I got onto one of the paddle boards to paddle across it um but yeah so it was kind of once I set the date I was like well I need to 
push on to yeah. that day. But then I had some really savage weather and I had another name storm, Storm Alley. That was, yeah, I mean, probably the only day that I was genuinely felt like I couldn't, I couldn't call for mountain rescue if I got into difficulties that day, because as a, you know, I'd like to think of myself as a responsible hill goer, like yeah. looking at the weather forecast that day, I, you just shouldn't have been out. You know, there was, amber weather warnings out for wind where I was there was I mean as I cycled to the hills I was meant to be doing I genuinely felt as though there was somebody driving in a car next to me and throwing buckets of water over me like that's the level of how saturated I was it was awful um and then I I got to the bottom of these hills and I was doing um so there's some of the more southerly Munros, some of the most successful from Edinburgh actually um Ben Vorlick and Stuckercroin and they're like at Loch Earnhead and I got to the, where I started the climb from and yeah, the aim was to do the two of them together. They link up really nicely. Um, and then I'd come back to my bike and then cycle on and do another hill. But I set off from my bike and I mean, the there's like a stream that flows into the lock that you kind of walk up alongside and the stream was like massively in spate, like the power of the water going by. It's just like so strong and so powerful. Um, and I was just like the whole time I was like, I'm going to have to turn around soon. I'm going to have to turn around soon. I'm just going to keep going until I have to turn around. And I was quite like accepting of the fact that I probably would have to get out of that weather. Um, but somehow I actually made it up Ben Vorlick and I didn't realize why until I got to the top and then I got to the top and then got hit by the wind, like, like a wall of wind. And it just turned out that the direction that the wind was coming from, like, you know, the bulk of the mountain was kind of shielding me from the worst of it. And then when I got to the top, like I could barely stand up. And at this point, you know, I was like almost four months in, I was super conditioned. Like I was pretty strong. Like my legs were kind of like tree trunks um, and, you know, I could barely stand up in it. So, and then I also, you know, from the kind of getting soaked on the bike before and everything, like the wind just kind of cut through me and I got so cold straight away and I, I like came off that I just turned around and pretty much like ran down and I was in tears and I was just like so cold and like kind of I was in like early stages of hypothermia and just um yeah and just I mean I knew like I had dry kit with me and dry bags in my bag and I was just like I just need to get out of this weather get into my dry clothes eat some food and then it will be fine but yeah. And it's funny because at the time, you know, that was probably one of the toughest days I've probably ever had. But at the same time, it's weirdly like one of my kind of more favourite memories whenever I look back at it. <laughs> it's kind of a bit twisted, isn't it? It's just um, and then I think as well, because then that like led me. So that was on the I think it was the Wednesday and I was finishing on the Saturday. But it basically meant that I obviously then didn't do the second and third hills that I was meant to do that day and you know I ended up going back and sitting in the pub and drinking hot chocolate and uh sitting there the fire and drying out and stuff um and then it just meant the next morning I set off super early went back up did the second and third hills stopped at that same pub again ate some more food and then set out like cycle I remember cycling up the road in the dark towards Crane Eric and I set off for two more hills that night at like 9.30 at night and like was out until 3.30 in the morning and was getting snowed on and it was just kind of like, and it was such a push to the end because I was like, I'm going to finish on the Saturday. Um, but, you know, I still had 15 hills to do or something. I mean, I think about it now and it's like, it was almost as though the whole like rest of the kind of challenge and the run up to that like final week was almost like training for the final week that was like my own little personal adventure race on my own just to just to get to the finish line but didn't really matter when I finished but it was just because I said I wanted to finish that day and 
I actually had a I had a mega bus ticket booked to get from Glasgow down to London because it was my great uncle was having an 80th birthday party on the Sunday and I was like I'd really like to go to the party because it was like you know a really big family occasion and stuff so yeah I literally finished the Monroe's on the Saturday and got dropped down to the bus station in Glasgow on the Saturday evening sat on the mega bus all night long and my parents came and met me they'd flown over to London like um and yeah came and met me at Victoria bus station and whoa that was a culture shock going from being on my own in the hills of Scotland for four months to suddenly being in central London and it was just like oh my god I was actually so glad it was pouring with rain whenever I got into Victoria. So I was able to put my waterproofs on and put my hood up. And it was like, okay, yeah, I'm used to my little safe zone in my hood. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that was a quite a massive smack in the face. <laughs> yeah, slightly. But also super nice to then actually have like a nice big family occasion to actually, you know, catch up with lots of lots of my extended family and stuff. So it was really special. And actually, I was so glad that I'd kind of done that kind of last push to get there for that event, really. You've mentioned that you've got a comfy set of pyjamas afterwards, but aside from that, what was the first thing you did when you got home? Um, goodness. I can't. So actually, I didn't go home home for ages <laughs> is what it felt. So I actually, I went down to, down to London. As I said, I had my great uncle's 80th birthday party. Um, so yeah, so that was literally, I got, my parents came and met me at Victoria Coach Station and took me back to my aunt and uncle's house where I had a bath that was lovely, <laughs> um, got clean, put on a dress, which was a very strange feeling. And then, yeah, then we went to my uncle's, my uncle's 80th birthday party. Um, but then I actually, I just stayed, I stayed in London with um, some of my really good friends. And actually, I think I stayed with them for probably a good week or maybe 10 days. And I, yeah, just kind of had a bit of a kind of relaxed time I don't think I left there flat for the best part of a week that I was just kind of trying to settle back into I guess a bit of normality and just kind of watching tv and sitting on the sofa and um yeah because I had it was one of my actually yeah, I stayed with them for two weeks because as I said I had my friend's wedding um so that was actually two weeks after I finished and she actually had her hen do in the weekend in between so I had basically a week at my friend's house sitting on the sofa and then went down to Brighton for a hen do for a week which geez that was that was a shock to the system <laughs> suddenly like being surrounded by 30 uh giddy girls on a hen do um I actually I took myself off at one point and just kind of went up to our room and <laughs> had a little quiet time because I was getting uh, it was a bit much um and then yeah then kind of had another week back in London at my friend's house again before um before the wedding um and then I guess yeah after that it was just kind of like back into kind of thinking about um what what I was doing next and working out yeah the next stages I actually I went back out to the Alps for for the November um and then yeah as, as I said before I came back to London and worked for two months for the the firm of chartered accountants I used to work for um when I initially qualified so it was all I guess just yeah. a bit kind of all over the place I actually don't know when I first went back home like back to my parents I think it probably wasn't until Actually, I might have gone back after the wedding. I think I might have gone back in the October at some point. But um, yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, when you're looking back on Project 282, just like looking to wrap up the Project 282 side of things, like, do you think you learned any lessons during that time? Oh, I think I learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> like, I think, um, I mean, you know, I'm kind of looking at it now from a perspective of, you know, come May, it's going to be three years since I started it, which is slightly crazy to think about um 
but I feel like you know it was it was a very formative experience for me um even though you know I started it uh so 2018 so I would have been 31 um I'd just turned 20 31 before I set off um and yeah I mean it's probably it's got to be up there with the most kind of formative experiences because I just spent four months on my own like there's a lot of time in your own head um and you know I think there's certain things like I kind of thought I was fairly resilient and thought I had like you know decent endurance capabilities and stuff before and I had kind of tested myself in certain ways but um you know just kind of being out there on your own and yeah it's Scotland and realistically you're never more than you know like I could probably have walked to a road at least within kind of a day at any point in the in the journey um but at the same time you know sometimes you do feel like you're the only person around and you know I think it's um I feel like the at the end of the day the easiest way to get out of trouble is not to get into trouble and I think that was kind of quite um quite a key kind of thing to remember throughout and just uh yeah I guess I think I became much more aware of the kind of dynamic risk assessments that you do when you're like in the mountains and stuff just in terms of I mean I say mountains like you know the hills in Scotland they're not they're not big high mountains or anything but you know stuff stuff does go wrong and um they're still pretty formidable yeah and you know there were certainly some of them that when I was like before I set off I think there were about 10 that in my planning spreadsheet were highlighted in red because they were scary ones (laughs) um so it was kind of you know once I got past the the scary ones then I probably relaxed a bit more but um yeah I mean I think probably maybe like biggest takeaway would probably just kind of be you know before I started I didn't know that I could do it and when I was thinking about the whole like the whole picture you know it's quite a large area really like a fair bit of Scotland to cover under my own power um and certainly at the beginning you know even when I was 50 100 Monroe's in if I was being like oh I've still got 180 or whatever to go that was you know really quite daunting um but actually it just got much easier by just being like okay so what am I doing today or what am I doing this week or you know kind of what and I had like certain ideas of places that I kind of split into sections and you know it's kind of every time I finished a map that would be quite a a key moment you know I'd I'd then go to a post office and post three maps home or something and you know it's just like okay cool like you know that was quite a a tangible feeling of like moving on and progressing through it Mm. um but yeah I think that's probably the key one was just kind of focusing on the steps you can do at the time and then you know eventually as you make small steps then eventually the big things get done um and I think that can be applied to pretty much anything really like especially you know if you've got quite a daunting goal just kind of break it down into into little manageable pieces and then suddenly you know you kind of you're getting there and um yeah perfect so you you said elsewhere in the outdoors fix podcast about having to make sacrifices when you're choosing the outdoors because you, you know all your friends are doing the same thing and you know you mentioned that you you decided that you know no no I'm I'm gonna be there for the 80th 80 party I'm gonna finish on this day how hard do you find it to balance the outdoors and friends um that's that's a really good question and actually I think that wedding that I had was quite uh uh 
it made me really kind of think like you know if I was 250 Munro's in and I wasn't going to make it back for the wedding what was the priority and you know like it was a really tricky one and I was I was really open with my friend whose wedding it was and I was kind of like you know I really want to be there and I'm going to try my utmost to be there but I don't know if you know if it gets to if I've committed especially if I was going to miss the wedding then I would have been you know looking at four and a half months by then and it's kind of like well if I've committed that much of my life to it then does is a wedding really justifiable to kind of put it on pause when it's you know the the whole element of it being a continuous journey was really important to me actually um but and you know and that's a tricky one because obviously for the person whose wedding it is there's nothing that's more important than their wedding um so yeah I guess I think I'm quite quite good at staying in touch with people and also I'm uh how would I say it I perhaps don't have too much shame in the sense of I've not spoken to someone for say a year or whatever and then I'm find myself in their neck of the woods I've got no qualms with you know sending them a message and being like oh I'm down like near you this week like can we meet up or whatever um and I think that's something that I've probably I've done that for years um because I do find I think you know it's, it's probably something that you know from doing seasonal jobs you know you get these friends who you become really close with and you're in quite an intense situation with or, you know like especially like working ski seasons and stuff and you form friendships really quickly and they are good friendships but then you don't see each other for ages um but it is nice to just then be like right okay I'm gonna be near you like let's do something and obviously it's a bit different at the moment but um yeah so I guess I'm not answering it that's the thing <laughs> at all uh, but yeah I think it is I think certainly to start with like whenever I left London I think some of my friends found it quite strange that I was you know kind of turning away from the kind of slightly more conventional lifestyle and then I think some of them maybe didn't necessarily quite understand and I probably wasn't very good at articulating kind of my rationale for some things and um you know maybe didn't help people to understand but I think you know most of my friends now are probably like what crazy thing are you doing this time and you know and it's just kind of like oh yeah Scotty's the crazy one that's fine <laughs> you know um yeah <laughs> I, I mean it's funny because I think doing the things like the mountain leader and stuff and training for the for the international mountain leader it's, it's actually been really nice to then kind of feel more uh, I guess capable and qualified to then actually try and share these experiences with my friends and you know then be like oh, okay like let's do a trip here and um, like mm. I think I think we spoke before we were recording just about like doing the Tour de Mont Blanc with some of my friends in the summer and like you know that was a, a really special experience and it was just so nice to kind of to share that with some really good friends and you know and I think it helps them understand why I do it a lot more whenever they actually see me in that environment and they're like okay yeah you're just like so much happier and yeah yeah 100% Munro's weren't really something that you prepared for and especially seeing as you're a mountain leader and ski instructor it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this you didn't really prepare for project 282 you just went and did it so I was wondering do you see the value in heading out on these sort of adventures spur of the moment no matter your experience um really good question that actually I think 
I would feel foolish to say, yeah, just go out and do something with no experience. Like I think, you know, I mean, when I set out to do the Munros, yeah, I didn't train specifically to do the Munros, but I wasn't going in completely blind and I didn't know what I was up against at all. I I'd kind of, so I'd lived in Edinburgh for a period about two years before that. And I think when I was living in Edinburgh, I probably went and climbed maybe about 40, probably about 40 of the Munros, just kind of, you know, going and bagging hills at weekends and um yeah it was a bit unintentional but it was just kind of yeah going and climbing hills and then suddenly it's like oh I've done 20 Munros I'm going to go and climb more Munros specifically this weekend or whatever and then when I started seriously thinking about I think when I was in Edinburgh probably that's probably when it sowed the seed for 282 but I hadn't really like properly considered it but you know it was kind of I just kind of thought oh it'd be cool to do the Munros and then I started being like oh it'd be quite cool to to do them together and like you know maybe cycling between them and I, I really like the kind of the purity of a like self-propelled journey like I do like the the thought of yeah you know covering everything under your own steam and you know my carbon footprint was great for those four months <laughs> um but um I think I committed to doing to doing them in the November before I set off and it's quite funny it's one of those things that you look back and you actually can pinpoint the moment that you made the decision even if you hadn't quite realized that you made the decision at the time um but I actually told I told my friends the ones that I did that adventure race with I told them that I was thinking about it and I think as soon as I said out loud to them that I was thinking about it I think that was kind of the point that I was like actually I'm going to make this happen um and I also knew that they were going to be like right so how are you going to make this happen um but yeah so after I told them I actually I then went up to the Cairngorms for I think I was in Edinburgh for maybe like all kind of up in Scotland for maybe like two weeks in November and I went up to the Cairngorms twice in that and did kind of two like three day little trips in amongst the Cairngorms and kind of climbed some of the Munros um and went and stayed I had like my first night in a bothy on my own and I went out and you know I had my tent with me and I had some pretty bad weather and you know November the days are really short um and actually I had I had one pretty formative <laughs> pretty formative evening um that I'd started off from the Braemar side of the Cairngorm so I'd gone from the Lina D and then I walked over um, and kind of took in like four Munros um, and over to like Angel's Peak and um, Cantool and then down to Kuribothi, which is like an awesome spot. It's like properly in the heart of the Gangorms. Like it's like the Larry Grew, which is the big, like the U-shaped glacial valley that runs through the Cairngorms between like Aviemore and Braemar. Um, so the Kuribothi is like bang in the middle of that. It's like, yeah, there's nothing around for ages. So it's a cool spot. But I remember I got to the Bothy at, I think it was about half 10, 11 at night. And it was just a random Tuesday night in November. And, you know, it probably been dark from about four o'clock. And it was snowing up at the top. Like I got a bit lost in the dark and disorientated in the snow. And I remember I did have a bit of a like, conversation with myself where one part of my brain was just being like oh just just sit down here and you know wait until the morning and it'll all be fine and you know I had to have the other part of my brain being like you're an idiot you'll die if you do that like you'll literally just freeze and get hypothermia and someone will find your body in a week or something um which sounds extreme but you know that's actually quite feasible and you know I probably hadn't been that good on like I don't think I I don't know if I'd given 
an exact route of where I was planning to go to anyone like I kind of left a note in the car and stuff but I think it probably would have been a while until Mm. people even sent out help kind of thing yeah um but yeah so I kind of was like right no you've just got to sort yourself out and carry on and you know you've just done your mountain leader training last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was and you know just get your bearings work it out get down get to the bothy and and yeah and that's what I did and actually it's quite funny I got into the bothy and there were these three guys there who had just gone for like a night out um and they had the fire going and they had the whiskey out and I like traipse in at half ten at night and they're just like whoa we weren't expecting anyone else and I was like oh I wasn't expecting anyone to be here and you know they had me the whiskey and um and they were so lovely and you know made space and were super accommodating and but actually you know kind of when I was doing to it too the following summer then I quite often would find you know if I had like say it was dark and I was a bit lost and I was like oh well at least it's not snowing or you know it was kind of by having kind of gone through that process in the November in bad weather then I was able to kind of yeah use that as a kind of tool to tell myself that well you know this is hard but that was worse and you got through that so you can get through this um yeah so I guess that kind of answers your question but maybe so I think yeah don't just go out and have no idea what you let yourself in for um because I think that's probably like a a good way to set yourself up for failure but do go out and do something that scares you and that you don't know if you're going to be able to do it because that's where you can grow and that's where you'll you know get a lot of kind of learning experiences from it and I think you know a lot of the time the things that don't go to plan are where you learn a lot more than the things that just go exactly how you thought they would and you know you tick it off and that's done like so it was about here that we took a break away from project 282 and we carried on with the rest of the interview but I thought I'd jump it straight to the wrap-up questions we go over one that she'd said already but there's actually a bonus one in there that I took out of the main interview and chopped it into this one so let me know what you think about these wrap-up questions they're just a bit of fun to see what see what she thinks but I hope you've enjoyed it thus far let's see what she says so wrap-up questions top three introduction Munros for anyone who's new to them um top three um I think if you're totally new to them then I think having a nice path can be quite a good thing so um and good kind of standalone ones with like well-graded paths and like easily accessible I think probably looking at Ben Lomond which is the most southerly um and beautiful views like you do get I mean you get the kind of all the good stuff that you want from a Munro like you know you've got lovely views of other hills like you've got like the lock below you and stuff um it's got some more interesting routes but it's also got a really nice well-graded path way up a good a good hotel at the bottom that does a decent sticky toffee pudding um (laughs) so yeah I think Ben Lomond's got to be up there um Shahalian is probably another one that it's a popular standalone um you know got a good car park well-graded paths um probably not the most interesting of answers um yeah I mean I guess like you know there's there's a few other kind of standalones but for the third one I feel like I should maybe think a little bit more outside the box does it have uh, um because oh I don't know now I'm like well there's part of me that's like 
Ben Nevis is actually, you know, it's a, it's a popular one because it's the biggest and there is like the mountain track is like, it's a good really path. clear. Um, yeah, exactly. It is, it is good. Um, but then there's part of me that's like, but not, <laughs> not as an introduction, but like if you then want to do Ben Nevis from another way, doing it at the CMD Rat is like, that is a super, super good, like UK mountain day out. Um, but that's not a kind of first time a day out. Um, but it's quite cool to kind of see it from both angles. And like, I mean, I've climbed Ben Nevis probably about, I don't know, six times or something. I did it one time in June that we went up and we carried our skis on our backs and <laughs> skied down one of the gullies off off the back which is pretty special um but yeah I think I mean it does have some appeal just by by virtue of you know being the biggest but obviously because it's so you know I've been up it when I did it during 282 did it in August I think it was August bank holiday weekend and it was minus 10 up top so you know you shouldn't underestimate it that's for sure <laughs> so yeah perfect and then the last question the last wrap-up one is where can we keep up to date with your adventures so far uh probably instagram is the the best bet um i yeah it's at adventure scotty uh, on instagram and yeah that's probably where i'm most uh yeah frequent at using i keep talking about writing blogs and stuff but then i hate every word i write so um yeah <sighs> BritishAdventureCollective.com. There might eventually be a blog there. Um, <laughs> there are blogs by other people and there are nice blogs there, but there's nothing written by me as yet. And I uh, get into trouble for it on a regular basis. And the British Adventure Collective as well is, is something I think people should just generally go and check out anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of... Um, it's a, a group of us kind of aiming to like showcase kind of the best uh, adventure available, not necessarily just in like in the British Isles but you know also further afield it's just kind of started because we are all British and that's kind of <laughs> where it kind of stemmed from there is certainly a, a large focus on on British adventures and stuff so you know it's kind of um there's a lot of like beautiful photography and stuff there and some stories and um and then in in less covid times hopefully we'll uh, put on some weekends and some adventure experiences and stuff so kind of yeah keep an eye on it and uh yeah, once we once we can release things properly, then uh, yeah, there'll be more info there. Brilliant. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It is it's been as it is with everyone. Me. It's been like such a pleasure, <laughs> just like chatting adventure and chatting about what you've done and your, your huge adventure CV. So yeah, thanks for coming on. That's all right. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun to kind of talk about it and relive some of it and remember there is life beyond COVID. <laughs> I really enjoyed that episode. What's key for me is just being uh, stuck. I suppose if you listen to the in the future, then how is it? But what's key for me is that right now we're stuck in lockdown in the UK. So just any conversation at the moment about the mountains here in the UK is just fantastic to sit back and just have a listen and have a discussion about basically just how fantastic they are. Let me know what you think on btmtravelpod at gmail.com or do what some of you do and just direct message me on social media as well. All the links are right there in the show notes. Check out Emily Scott's Instagram and website as well and check out the British Adventure Collective. Some great stuff going on there and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens coming out of the pandemic and every everything they do. 
If you did enjoy the show, then please do consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It will really, really help in a big way. But otherwise, tell a friend, enjoy it. If you want to buy me a coffee and help with these late-night edits, you can with the link in the show notes or become a patron and get some merch. It's up to you. Don't do anything. As long as you have a nice day, I am absolutely happy. So on that note, I do hope you have a brilliant day and I will see you in next week's episode. Thank you.